What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Joey, today we're covering the myths of why you shouldn't do infinite banking. And I'm going to start you off with something. Okay. You shouldn't do passive income because it's not really passive. Mm. Are, are you saying that that's something you've heard in the past? Yeah. I mean, I hear that all the time. You shouldn't do passive income because it isn't really passive. Ooh, how, how costly would that be if you actually took that advice? I think 95 to 98% of the people have taken that advice or have assumed it was true and just decided not to pursue it. Mm. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing up this analogy because without passive income, how involved do you have to be in every other facet of your working life? <laughs> right. It's There's no, I mean, to think that you're giving up one because it's, it has to be involved, as our friend Jay Massey said, passive income doesn't mean uninvolved. To work 40 to 60 hours a week over here, hoping it's going to ever get any easier, you're on the losing side of that deal, for sure. Well, we just got back from the Land Geek Conference, uh, the boot camp in Atlanta. And one of the goals behind the couples that were being um, kind of asked questions of from the front of the room was what's one thing that you want to have happen in the next three to five years? And the guy said, for my wife, who is really running our business, to not have to work three days a week, six hours a day. I want her to only have to work 30 minutes a day, three days a week. And I was thinking, isn't that a unique perspective, right? And I had a, a conversation with my daughter who was there um, along with yours. And I said, isn't that pretty interesting that his goal is for his wife to only have to work an hour and a half a week as compared to 18 hours a week. But compared to what, right? Most people's work week is like 40, 50, 60, 70. Come on, Russ, that ain't working. 80, right? Yeah, exactly. 80 hours a week. So what if I was active in my new passive income, quote unquote, passive income uh, venture, and it required me to work 18 hours a week. Can you imagine? Mm. But if I got to give up 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week, I would gladly trade it for being active and producing an income stream as great or greater that didn't require me to show up to work, that didn't require me to ask questions about when um, will the bonus come this year, if the bonus will come this year, doesn't have to have me ask, when can I take vacation and is it approved? Mm, so true. That's why I love this topic today because we are talking about things that could be potentially keeping you back from taking action on implementing the infinite banking concept in your life. And 
we've just got done showing you that there's things that are seen and then there's things that are unseen when we take bad advice or we allow things to be a mental block from taking action. And I think you're going to like this. You've got some new coaches in the room and to have them and their perspective added to um, the normal voices you're used to, I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Russ, let's not delay any further. Let's oh, hold on, what, 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 one quick second, what? okay? Can, can I just promote one thing for us, just one thing? Okay. Oh, it, it, okay. You've been asking for this. You've been wanting to attend something live, but you haven't been able to become the Passive Income Mastermind because you weren't an accredited investor. You wanted to figure out what are some of these ideas that can produce passive income? What are some of these ideas that others are doing to create reoccurring income? Go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash live. And January the 6th through the 8th, we are going to have a live event. We would love for you to be there. Don't miss out. Go to westwaltwallstreet.com forward slash live. All right, Joey, let's pull a chair up to the table and belly up. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the Financial Freedom Roundtable, where each week we break down complex financial topics so that you can more easily understand them, and more importantly, take action on your path to becoming financially free. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. Grateful to have you in the room. My name is Russ Morgan. They call me the idea guy, mostly because lack of follow-through guy didn't sound so cool. Well, enough about me for a moment. Let me introduce you to my co-host, the Italian Stallion. He's got the license plate cover to prove it, Mr. Jeremy Ray. Stallion, good afternoon. Man, good to be here, Russ. And I, I love this. You know, you always talk about my my license plate cover. Yeah. When we were just at the Land Geek boot camp this past weekend, we took some people out to dinner. And as we were getting into my car, I pointed out, I was like, do you guys see? You see? It exists. It's not just something Russ says. And they were just like laughing and taking pictures and everything else. So it was fun. Man, it's always, it's always good to see the Italian stallion <clears throat> on the road, right? That's right. We're, we're covering a topic today, the top reasons not to do the infinite banking concept. And I think we're going to be debunking some of these potential myths. Why do you think this is so important for us to cover today? Oh, this is so easy. Because if you have something that has been holding you back personally from taking action, as Russ mentioned, on the infinite banking concept, it is literally, I'm going to be so bold to say, it is keeping you from financial freedom. So it, this is utmost importance to debunk whatever is going on in your brain that is keeping you blocked out. You got to get rid of it. That's what today's all about. That's why I'm excited about it. All right. Well, I, I want to introduce, we got a, a bevy of coaches today. <laughs> like we got a great word. We have a lot of help today and I want to, I want to get to them as quickly as I can. I, I got, man, I got the guy that I like to call the true financial Sherlock Holmes of our day. No problem too difficult to solve. If I'd only known him earlier, I've been so much richer, said everybody. Mr. Downtown Ernie Brown. Good to see you, Ern. Man, it's good to be seen. Thanks for letting me back. <laughs> hey, man, tell me, why is it so important for us to cover 
the top reasons why we shouldn't be doing IBC. Why, why is this something that we're going to spend 30 to 40 minutes talking about today? Because I made a terrible mistake this summer that I don't want anybody else to make, that if I had just known one thing differently, I could have not done it. Mm. Can you, you let know us what that was? I mean, can I'm, you please I'm let us in? Su- super interested. Cutting that beard off. <laughs> that beard didn't exist this summer. Uh, so yes, that was my ultimate mistake. But no, we went, so we went to the lake with my wife's family and it was my mother-in-law's birthday. And I went to play golf with the brother-in-laws and it was our job to go to the store afterwards and get her some cheesecake. And I got to the store and I took a picture on my phone of the ice cream section because I uh, can appreciate a good ice cream section of any grocery store <laughs> Sure, and sent it to my wife. And she texted me back, no cheesecake. And so I thought, great, no problem. And so we got home, no cake for my mother-in-law on her birthday. And Caroline was like, what did you do? <laughs> Why did you not get no cheesecake? I said, you told me no cheesecake. And so because she left out one thing, a comma, no comma cheesecake to my picture of ice cream, I got it wrong. I made a (laughs) massive mistake. And if I had known one thing different, we wouldn't be in that position. I mean, who wants to be the son-in-law that doesn't get the mother-in-law ice cream? Don't don't do that. Oh, yeah. That reminds me studying the last... When we were doing a podcast and we messaged our our assistant at the time <laughs> that we wanted, uh, we needed lunch because we were in back-to-back podcasts over and over and over again. And we were going to have like 15 minutes to eat. And uh, she said, what do you want? We said, Baja. And we came out like an hour and a half, two hours later for our, like our lunch opportunity. Like, where's the food? She's like, no, you say you didn't want it. I was like, no, we, we wanted Baja burgers. She goes, Oh, I thought you meant Baja, like Baja, ha, ha. <laughs> like, oh no, come on, man. That was a hungry day. That was a hungry day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, looks like you hadn't eaten since that day, bro. Come on. We got to get some meat on the bones. That's right. But can, can we please not move on without asking Ernie what the heck his story had to do with IBC and why we don't, why we're covering this today? Oh, well, it's, it's please. simple. I don't know how you didn't connect the dots. I mean, you've seen me in Toastmasters. I always bring it back. It's it, here's the point. Don't you hate it when you do something when you do when you don't do something for the wrong reasons? And so that's why we have to debunk these reasons not to do something. Because if you just knew one thing different, mm. you might do this. It, it might unlock the door. Thank for you. you. Might, might keep you in good graces with those around you. Yeah, thank you. You can benefit the you I can really benefit the family. I, I, I okay, I'm, I'm adding it all up. All right, let's let's get to your right, the piano man. Now we're all in the mood for passive income, and you have a C in the light, Mr. Matthew Hammond. Welcome back, Matthew. Thank you, Russ. It's an honor to be surrounded by such <laughs> brilliant minds in the in the passive income and the IBC world, man. Uh, I appreciate. As you can see, I, obviously the piano is in the background here. If you can see it, uh, my wife told me that. Since my music room's always been my office, I might as well go ahead and set my desk up in here as well. So that's where I am. Yeah. Why, why do you think this is a good topic for us to be covered today? Because honestly, um, you know, frankly, I've actually 
been kind of taking it for granted because I've been so gung ho in the IBC in my own personal IBC journey over the last few years that I didn't even really, I, I really took for granted um, that there are people looking in that are considering the, their own IBC journey and there actually are possible concerns or apprehensions that they may have. And, um, and frankly, it's so important to discuss those because even if you are 100% sure you want to take that IBC journey, that infinite banking journey, um, if you have the slightest bit of doubt lingering, it will 100% hold you back from fully, from fully taking advantage of all the benefits of IBC. So it's mm -hmm. so important to discuss those up front so you can alleviate all those concerns and doubts. Okay. I like it. I like it. Let's get to your right. The king of Beham, Mr. Real Estate himself. He's agnostic to all types, as long as it produces cash flow. The multi-talented Jamie O'Brien. Good to see you, Jamie. Hey, man. Excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to change lives. I'm really excited about this. But tell me today, why are we covering the top reasons why not to do IBC and debunking them? So I think information is power, right? And so IBC and, and financial freedom in the whole, I mean, just it takes a different way of thinking about life in general, really just a different mindset. Um, when I first started in real estate, I mean, my father was like, you're, you're going down the riskiest path ever. You know, you're going to lose all your money. What are you thinking? This is not a safe, not a safe trajectory. And really, I think it's just the mindset. You know, he doesn't have the mindset to, to really understand it. So I think it's important to talk about these myths and, and debunk them to really understand how to think about this whole operation, not only just IBC, but financial freedom and, and the steps it takes to get there and how to be most efficient in that. I love that, man. Thank you for sharing. All right. Let's lastly, but not leastly, the surgeon of the group. He has a precision like approach to cash flow and, and can diagnose problems before they occur just by looking at your financial statement. Mr. Automated Budget himself, Eric Hudson. Great to see you, Thanks. Eric. Thank you, Russ Morgan. Great to be back with you guys. Pumped about this topic. So uh, I know you're going to ask me next because I, I can see the trend why we need to be talking about this subject. And I can't help but think back to, I know there's a lot of parents here on the podcast with us. So there was a time in my young daughter's life when it was time to have the talk. <laughs> why? was it important for me to have the talk with my daughter? Because my daughter is already hearing it from everywhere else, right? Yeah. And primarily hearing it from people that don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so because I care about my daughter, I want to make sure she gets the truth mm. from someone who understands it and knows it and has lived it. And so I think, exactly the same way if we care about the people that are on this group and on this journey with us and who may be wanting to join this group with us then we have got to take the time to talk about what they may be hearing and what the truth is concerning ibc oh preach on man i love that come on now bring it this is it, yeah, we we don't want our kids learning from peers about all those things or all the other things and I think a lot of times we're learning from our peers who have no more understanding of the subject matter in this regard than we do. And Joey, the number one obstacle to becoming financially free is what? Lack of access to cash. And by the way, there's 180 something billion dollars of reasons of why you should be learning what 
the banks are doing with their cash and how it could apply to you. That's my top reason why we should be debunking the reasons not to do IBC. Because if it's so good for them, why is it not good for us? Because that's one of the things. I actually read that one time, Joey. <laughs> I read a thing on the reasons why you shouldn't do IBC. And it said, well, they say it's good for the banks. And that means it should be good for you. But I mean, that's not relatable at all just because they make lots of money doesn't mean you do and that you should do what they do and it's like what kind of logic is that like just because it's good for them and they make lots of money and they're a business you can't apply it into your life i mean mm. that's the reason why our government can't balance a balance sheet well they're a they're a government they're not like us you know like they don't they're not responsible for how much money that they spend as relationship to how much they bring in who said that the government, <laughs> I mean, come on, right? I mean, this, this is this is a thing. But all right, we we got to break this down. I know it's going to take a long time. I, there's there's three key areas that you guys have helped me look look through on this. Things that I I think that are true, and why I shouldn't do IBC. So the, maybe the what I think, right? The, then we've got what what he told me. <laughs> you know, she told me this. Things that others have told us that we've believed. And lastly, maybe it's the financial industry. Maybe it's some of the lies that the financial industry has been perpetuating. And by the way, this doesn't only address Wall Street. This also happens inside the insurance world as well. We, we hear a lot of myths and untruths as it relates to the subject matter. So I, I'm going to start with the internal side. I'm coming your way, Ern. Tell me tell me what's one of those things that, that people ha have thought themselves is a reason that they shouldn't be doing this. The, the thing that I hear from someone who's 30 years old and someone who's 65 years old and everywhere in between is I feel like I'm too old for this. <laughs> Learn enough about infinite banking to know that this requires life insurance. And if I had just bought this two years ago, that would have been the right time. <laughs> and I, I, it makes me laugh because I hear this from all different age groups. But why is that? Why is that not true though? Well, uh, he, here's, here's, I, I can't give you all the reasons, but I'll give you one. Just give me one yeah. Yeah, uh, we we hosted a webinar last week with a with a group of real estate investors, and uh, we got to some Q and A. And this older older lady um, asked about this. She had started some life insurance years and years and years ago, and but is learning about this concept and is like, well, if I implement this, I feel like I'm too old. And so I asked her, hey, do you plan on continuing to be active in real estate for the next several years? And she said, yeah. So I told her, well, as you're doing that real estate, you're going to have cash coming into bank accounts, aren't you? She said, of course. So I asked her, where would you prefer that cash to reside? Do you want to keep it in the bank accounts? Or can you find a way to put it through insurance policies and apply the banking concept to this? She kind of nodded her head and, and she was in her mid-60s thinking this. So just, just one example. Hmm. I like that. All right, Eric, coming your way. What's one thing that somebody's thinking in their head is a reason why they shouldn't be doing the infinite making concept? Because I just don't need life insurance. I've got all this cash in my bank accounts, in my 401ks, and my IRAs. I am self-insured, so I just don't need life insurance at all. Why would I take on that expense? Mm. Now, why is that 
not the case? Why is that a myth? What's the reality behind that? The reality is what that cash is doing for you in in the bank accounts, especially, is I mean, it is so depressed as opposed to what it could be doing for you in an IBC system. Mm. Well, and even it, it's amazing that you're bringing this up because I remember seeing Susie Orman just beaten up on some get some kid who said, Hey, I'm really considering, you know, buying this life insurance somebody told me about. And, uh, and she immediately is like, wait a minute, you're a single guy. You're a single guy. Not just he was self-insured, but you're a single guy. What do you need life insurance for? And it was immediately like, he's like, Oh, wait a minute. I guess I shouldn't be talking about life insurance because I don't have an heir or a spouse or anything like this. And the reality, I'm glad you just brought this up. It's never about the actual life insurance. It's about what is your cash doing and how is it becoming more and more lazy or getting you closer to funny. What are you trying to say, Joey, that the, uh, that the Bank of Americas of the world are not trying to take care of the, the future little small Bank of Americas to be born in. Yeah, they don't have any little baby baby branches that they're, you know, trying to take care of for sure. Oh, come on now. Uh, you think it's too small. Matthew, what, what's the what's another myth that people are telling themselves as it relates to why they shouldn't be doing the infinite banking concept? So, so yeah, so people say all the time, well, my health's not the greatest. So I, I, I don't even think the, life, uh, the insurance company would even insure me for life insurance. And uh, well, what I say to that is, you know, I take you to Nelson Nash, you know, he lived to be 88 years old and he was buying life insurance policies all the way up to the time he passed away. And I, I dare say, I don't know how many life insurance policies he owned, but I dare say that when he was in the eighties, he was not insurable at that point. So what did he do? <laughs> He purchased life insurance policies on his children, his grandchildren, his great grandchildren. So there, there's there's so many there's so many alternative ways to take advantage of infinite banking, even if you do have health issues that prevent you from purchasing insurance on yourself. Yeah, no doubt. And he at one point had almost 80 policies and he slowly obviously was starting to give things away later on in years. And people ask that all the time. How was a guy who was uninsurable in his 50s? Because he talks about in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, how he had a series of events in his life. And one of those actually open heart surgery <laughs> um, that prevented him from ever having the ability to be insured from that point forward. So yeah, see, you you can find other ways. Joey, what's something yeah. that somebody's telling themselves as to why they shouldn't be doing this? That's just not true. Uh, I'm calling out the person that just feels weird about doing something that nobody else is doing. Right? I don't know anybody that's doing this infinite banking thing. It just seems like maybe am I getting scammed here because it's just I'm out on an island by myself right? Isolation it, with an idea. And the, the point I'll make to that is the reason we can debunk that is who in your life actually has the freedom that you're looking for. If you're surrounded by 10 of the most, your closest friends and family, what do their lives look like? Do we want to replicate what everybody else is doing? In fact, we've been bringing up Nelson so many times already today, but he said, um, the world's never been right about anything. 
why would we continue to go after what the world is doing? Um, so that's my challenge is, yeah, it's uncomfortable doing something different, but you, you want uncommon results, don't you? This podcast is amazing. Almost too amazing, Russ. There's too many ideas and I don't know where to get started creating passive income. Well, here's the thing, Joey. I think one of the things you need to consider in that statement is what is it costing you to not know? What is it costing you not to take action? I love the statement that says you don't have to be great to start. You just have to start to be great. If you're struggling on where to start, you have to know what type of investor you are. Know your investor DNA. And if you want to learn more about this, you can join us in our Passport Challenge at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Get started today. Yeah. If you don't want uncommon results, you just follow the common path and you get what everybody else who's doing that path is getting. I, I, I agree exactly. with that. Here, here's one. Only the people talking about it are the ones getting paid. Only the people telling you about the infinite banking concepts are getting paid to do it. Well, I'm going to challenge that, right? One, um, there's several guys on this call that 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 have never got paid a dollar to to do infinite banking, right? Have just been advocates for it personally. And there's many of you that are listening to this that have referred people or have shared this with friends and family and, and never been paid anything. So that clearly they're 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 forgetting about you. But let's just pretend that that actual statement was true. Does it not apply to all things in business, right? Like, I mean, it, in what walk of life is the person who's writing that article, that blog article, in order to get advertisement, not doing what they're doing to get paid? And is the fact that you're getting paid make it wrong? I think this is just silly the way people think about stuff there. And not to mention, Joey, how much have we reduce the compensation that is paid, which we get paid well to do this. Don't, don't, don't take this as a woe as me, but how much more could we get paid if we sold whole life insurance the way the insurance industry sells whole life insurance? Oh, it's, we're, we're, we're leaving 60 to 70% of what we should be paid on the table because it's best for our clients. It's best for us. And, and, and that's what people don't, you know, in, in the insurance world, and we'll talk about that in a second, why they don't talk about it, because they are they don't want to reduce their check by 60 to 70 percent to set it up the actual way it should be as it relates to this concept. All right, let's talk about other people. And I, I didn't mean to leave you out, Jamie, but I know we have just so many things, right? And I want to come to you first now. Let's talk about what other people have told you of why you shouldn't be doing this infinite banking concept and why it's not true. I think a lot of people will find this idea. And this was what happened to me. I found the concept, started digging into it on my own. And then I, of course, I went into my circle of, of friends and started talking to people about this. And one of those uh, people was my financial advisor. And of course, the, the doubt showers just started raining on, <laughs> on this idea. You know, why would you do that? What happens if you can't pay your policy one year, you know? Uh, are you sure that you're going to be insured? It's not a great investment, you know? And so um, I think a lot of people probably follow that same path is, is they, they talk to somebody they trust. You may not fully understand the concept. And again, to Matthew's point earlier, that cloud of doubt just will sit over you until you really do your own education. Mm. How about for you, Ern? What's something that you hear in people 
be told that they're believing that they shouldn't be believing. I think when you just look at the at the insurance industry in general, <laughs> it's it's not the most stand up group. Its reputation could be better. And yeah, you know, I think a lot of that just has to do with the nature of the business. <laughs> right? What's the what's the tactic to sell insurance? Well, could you imagine a day where your house burns down? <laughs> Buy this thing from me. Could you imagine if you get cancer and you can't go to work? Buy this insurance from me. <laughs> what if your friends and family die? <laughs> Buy this from me. You know, that's a that's a tough, that's a tough industry. And, and I think it gets beaten up on. And, and Russ, you sent me this study from LIMRA, July Insurance Marketing and Research Association. So they do studies on this stuff. And one of the things that comes out specifically in our space, which is whole life insurance, is this idea of <laughs> all this life insurance that gets off the books. It gets set up and then it gets off the books, right? And, and it's gone. So we set up this permanent tool. How many people don't finish with the tool? How many people lose money on this stuff? And so I, just to that point, this is an interesting statistic that you gave me, Russ, here is, well, if you look at the whole of life insurance, about 4.2% of all life insurance lapses each year, all life insurance, but just term insurance, you know, that stuff that, that Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman tells us to buy only buy this stuff. Well, 6.2% of that, 6.4% of that stuff lapses every single year. <laughs> so which, which one is lapsing more, which one is lapsing less? If all is 4.2 and just term is 6.4, could it, could it actually be that whole life insurance is a better tool? And what if you actually applied the, these banking concepts to this tool and you implemented this concept with whole life insurance and you are actively using it. Do you think that type of stuff laps much, much less than the industry standard? I would think so. That's good. Joey. All right. So I think this is pretty interesting. But as you were talking about, Jamie, about externally people kind of speaking into your ear who have no business doing, they have no idea what is actually going on. The best example of this was when I was at Wells Fargo and I was surrounded by a sea of morons that had vice president next to their name because they were all insured by the company that they work for, that they had to have the, the title in order to do that. But I would go to them and say, what do you guys think about this whole life insurance? Not one person would say, this is a good place to park money. When the bank that they worked for had simultaneously $19.2 billion worth of cash in the very policies on many of their own lives. Like if that wasn't like eye-opening to me that people are uneducated about this, it's literally under their nose and they don't even know what's going on. That is a reason why we should be debunking this right now. Externally, where are you getting your education from? Where are you getting, you know, your your thought process from? Go outside of the VPs at the bank, okay? <laughs> and I think in a second, when we get into some of the financial lies, I want to break down maybe deeper into that. Is there a conspiracy there or is it just stupidity? 
Matthew, what do you what do you think people are are hearing and believing that just isn't so? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that happened to me personally. Actually, when I started my IBC journey, was uh, my CPA actually came to me and and uh, I was discussing with her what I was planning on doing, and she said, um, "Well, I'm not. I don't really understand that concept very well. I don't know if it's a good idea to do it or not." Um, you might want to, you might want to rethink it. And I had already done my due diligence on IBC. So I knew it was solid, a solid process. And so, you know, we, we, we mutually decided to part ways. Um, I learned, I learned we had a good relationship, but, uh, but obviously where I was going, my trajectory was actually moving outside of her realm of expertise. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, you, you, uh, you can, uh, as you evolve as an investor, and uh, and as a as an IBC practitioner, um, you're going to outgrow some of your team members, um, including your CPAs. And so and so that's what I did. I moved on to another CPA that understands the concept and is able to get on board with that and, and all the tax advantages of being in a, um, being in infinite banking. And so that's a good point, because I've heard that, too. Right. If you don't understand it and you can't explain it within fill in the blank, five seconds, 15 seconds, 50 seconds, five minutes, 50 minutes. You know, there's always an answer. If you can't clearly explain it to somebody, you can't draw it out on a napkin, you shouldn't do it. Now, this is coming out of the mouths of people who are trying to explain mutual fund investing. As, why is it that we believe that we understand mutual fund investing or we understand our 401k? Well, it's because everybody around has been doing it and, and we started doing it as soon as we got into the company. But if I asked them, hey, by the way, what's the turnover ratio on the mutual funds that you got in your portfolio? What do you think the answer is going to be? I'm waiting. No clue. <laughs> Crickets, right? Like how long has <laughs> the fund manager been in that um, managing the fund that you have? What, what's the uh, what's the TPA fee associated with it? What's the beta of your mutual funds, uh, beta. What do you mean? <laughs> I thought I was an alpha. Okay, tell me what the alpha is. Uh, what's that mean? Right? Like, what's the standard deviation of your fund? What do you mean? There's so much underlining of these investments that people make that they don't understand all of that. That'd be like understanding all the working parts on an airplane. Mark, who's not on the call today, has told us a hundred times that he knew a lot about the airplane, but there was a lot more that he didn't know about how it all worked, right? He just knew the buttons to push. And the reason he knew the buttons to push is because they gave him a checklist and he followed it over and over again. He'd be naive to understand all the working parts of every single piece of it. So that's a, a, a really crappy idea. But then kudos to your CPA for saying, I don't know, right? It's really easy when people say, well, I don't know, I wouldn't do it. Well, crap, if they told you, I don't know, but you probably ought to do it, <laughs> that'd be a bad idea, <laughs> right? Like, Joey's like, ah, what, do you, what do you think if I jump off this bridge, what's going to happen? I don't know. Why don't you try it? We'll figure it out. You know, like, <laughs> I'm probably not going to say do it, right? Yeah. All right. I, I'm, I'm going to, I got to get to the next point. I'm going to come to you, Eric. So we, we have a lot of, a lot of, potential things that we're we're learning maybe as financial lies as joey likes to say that maybe are untruths what's one that you've heard that you'd like to break down is this on uh, the third example or the yeah let's, let's let's move into the financial lies section here yeah that the insurance company keeps my cash value when i die well isn't that true 
So the cash value is your equity, like the equity in your home. Right. And uh, when you sell your home, does does the buyer pay the equity and the value of the home that you priced it for? No, you get you get what you priced the home for. Equity is included. Yeah, that, that's a good one. That, that's definitely one that's always the aha moment. Like we we have a, a why Dave Ramsey is wrong video on YouTube, and I. I probably have a hundred of those comments on there. Well, an insurance company keeps your cash. When you die, they keep it. That's a good one. I like that one. What about you, Jamie? What's what's a, a financial untruth, financial lie? Well, Russ, I mean, it's just too darn expensive. I just can't can't swing it. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Too expensive. It, it, it is, man. Like, I mean, I, I go buy a $100,000 death benefit with term. It costs me $10.72. If I buy this whole life insurance that you're telling me, it's going to cost me $350 a month or whatever the number is. Isn't that expensive? I mean, it is until you understand how it actually works. Okay. And then I think, it's, I think it's too expensive not to do it. <laughs> what, what, what why think. is it not too expensive? Joey, what would you say to that? Why, why is that a untruth? Well, because what well, I like what Jamie said is if, if we actually, and we actually do this at uh, our land geek boot camp, like we did this past weekend, we show people the expense that it costs when we use cash to make purchases compared to using a system that allows our cash to always continue to compound for the rest of our lives. And it's, it's no joke when we give our example, a $20,000 vehicle purchase or whatever purchase you want to say, if you interrupt that compounding over your lifetime, it will cost you $920,000 in lost opportunity cost. So to Jamie's point, how expensive do you do you want to talk here? Is it the cost of the insurance difference or is it the cost of your money never growing again because it's stuck in a cash system that the bank owns? Well, here's the thing, too. This is a lie that, you know, it's been debunked by many people that have actually done the math, but most of the people have not done the math. So they use this analogy because it's easy to say I buy X amount of death benefit with a term insurance policy and I buy X amount with this whole life. It's so much more. See, it's that much more expensive, but that's not actually the truth. Actually, the insurance costs are the same. Right. The difference is, is that with the term insurance policy, I'm buying a 10 year policy, I'm buying a 20 year policy, I'm buying a 30 year policy. Well, what is a whole life policy, Joey? If I'm 40 years old, what is my term? Your whole life. Yeah. And what, when is most insurance policies underwritten to? When did they end down so now? Age 121. So I'm buying a 71 or no, 81, 81 um, policy, right? 81 year term. Right. Now, what is the likelihood that someone's going to die who's 40 years old in the first 10 years of their 10-year term policy, high or low? I, I, I was going to say, I don't have that chart memorized, but it's low. Okay. Well, what's the likelihood that a 40-year-old is going to die in the first 20 years of a 20-year uh, term policy, high or low? It's getting higher, but it's still low. I mean, as a percentage, it's in the single digits still, right? That's right. That's right. Now, in the first 30 years, because most 
term policies won't go past 30 years, right? So in the first 30 years of a, an, a term policy for a 40-year-old, what's the, the percentage? Are we getting into the teens yet, you think? I think so, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Now, what's the what's the percentage? Just ballpark for me. I know you don't have the chart in front of you. What's the ballpark of someone dying who buys a whole life policy between ages 40 and 121? Just rough numbers. 100%. I have to take my shoes off to count it up, but I think it's 100. <laughs> okay. All right. So do, do we see what's happening here, right? Like, you know, it's like if we're going to drive across the country, we're going to need to get a big vehicle. and We're going to have to fill it up with gas multiple times, right? But what we end up comparing this to is if I do an Uber ride between my house and yours, Earn and it and I, and I go about fifteen miles. Well, boy, that trip was a lot cheaper, don't you see? Well, we're not comparing the same thing, and that's where you know this is a fallacy that people bring up, and they just need to know what what's another thing here that you would would you would throw in, Earn, that would be a potential fact that maybe is left out. Well, you're you're killing the everybody else's voices, so I want to give mine a try. Okay, do it. We we got this idea of we're doing infinite banking, so we're taking loans with our life insurance policies, and loans is bad. <laughs> Debt is bad, and, and so that that hangs up a lot of people. Why would I borrow my own money to do this? Mm. I hear I hear that a lot, and the reality is, hey, when you're when you're taking a loan against a life insurance policy you're not actually interrupting or taking the cash from your contract. You're, mm. you're borrowing from the life insurance company. And, and therefore, Joey, you, you mentioned that point of lost opportunity cost. That's what makes that whole thing happen is that the insurance contract, the cash value continues accumulating inside of that contract as, as it's full because it is full and you get to get the benefit of the use of the life insurance company's money as a loan to do whatever you like, buy a car, buy a piece of real estate, whatever it is, and return that cash at your leisure. Mm. Matthew, what do you think? What, what's one of those potential financial lies that exist out there, but people buy into all the time? Well, I'm glad you mentioned fallacies earlier, because this, this particular comment is based on a, a complete fallacy in that the returns on a life insurance policy are not nearly as good as other market investments. Hmm. And uh, well, frankly, the, the, the argument is null and void because it's based on a simple misperception that you're perceiving a life insurance policy as an investment strategy, which it is absolutely not. A life insurance, uh, IBC, infinite banking, using the whole life policies, you're building a warehouse to store your capital so that you can then in turn deploy that capital into those market investments that have those high returns. And on top of that, your life insurance policies, your cash value is compounding while those market investments are, are while you're benefiting from those high returns. And so if you put those two together, you're definitely benefiting more than just simply investing in those market investments. Uh, I, I read this very thing. It said, if you're skipping contributing to your 401k or Roth IRA in order to fund one of these infinite banking policies, you're almost surely coming out behind. Well, I mean, that is a bold statement, right? Because you're assuming everything. Because here's the thing. 
the insurance policy that we have, Joey, has a guarantee. It's written into the contract. It can tell you exactly what the growth will be. Most people don't know this. The cash value must guarantee contractually grow to equal the death benefit by your age 100 or age 121, depending on the endowment of your specific contract. So it's guaranteed to grow. Now, the only guarantee in you know, this person's assumption of the 401k or the Roth IRA is that it can lose 100% of its value. That's the only guarantee that could be written in that prospectus. And I used to read it. Of course, I didn't show anybody that. I didn't spend time talking about it because, well, I mean, what's the likelihood it's going to lose 100%? I mean, come on. That's that's a little bold there. I'm not going to tell them all that. Well, that's, I mean, but that's one of those things. Well, that's one of the myths, right, that we have. Or how about this one? 80% of all whole life policies never end up meeting, um, getting to maturity. People, 80% of the people end up surrendering. Okay, well, that's a that's a true statement as far as I can find it. Compared to what? Nobody asked the question. Compared to what? Uh, well, compared to term insurance, Joey, what percentage of term insurance policies never make it to completion, never pay out? Uh, 98%. <laughs> okay. So we get a compared to what now, but also when you start digging into the statistics, you start noticing that all whole life policies are not designed equal. True. hundred percent true. When you start looking at those stats earned that you were sharing earlier about on average, you said four point something percent of every insurance policy is lapsing yearly, annually, right? Reducing down. Well, which one do you think's lap faster? The one with the highest death benefits or the lowest death benefits? I'm going to go with lowest. Lowest, right? Which one um, laps fastest? The one where people put in the most cash or the least amount of cash? The least. least. Yeah, so what are we talking about here? Are the financially educated putting in little amounts of cash into their policies or large amounts of cash into their policies? Large. Large, right? Shocking that they're not lapsing their insurance policies at the rate. Joey, you and I have been doing this. You've been doing this personally since 2009, 2010, right? right. I've been on the on the opposite end of that for that time frame. Do you know what the lapse rate of the, that we have actually experienced with thousands now, thousands of insurance policies purchased for the purpose of infinite banking is? What's the lapse ratio? I don't know the number. It's 99.6 to 99.8, depending on the insurance company with. I knew it so was 0. high. So 0.02 to 0. 0.04% of 1%, like a fraction of 1% of thousands of life insurance policies have been lapsed, let go, or surrendered. We're almost at a point where we're having people now starting to pass away. And that number will soon, at some point, I believe, grow to be greater than the number of policies that were actually lapsed. So our our statistics will be different, right? What we do with this is completely different. Why do people, you know, uh, downsize their houses in their 60s and 70s? Because they're out of cash. That's where they've stored most of their money and they have to have access to it. That's well, right. if, if we're using this tool to build passive income to create cash flow, will our people need to access the cash in a way that which they surrender their policies? Probably not. There's a lot, lot to this conversation. And I know that 
you, you, you're drinking from a fire hose, especially if this is the very first time that you've ever gone through this. What I'm going to call you to action to is to go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash free call. At a minimum, at a minimum, you should get on a call and ask, how have they been setting up systems for other people and how would that apply to me? And one of our coaches can walk through a 15-minute call with you and help you understand, is the infinite banking the right next thing for you? Or is there another process that you need to be working on to help you become financially free? Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time today to jump on this call. I know we're out of time. I hope your last thought was your last thought because it's all I can give you. But as you're listening, if you haven't had a chance, jump on that free call with one of our coaches. Take time, rate, review, subscribe to this show, share it with somebody else so we can beat the big tech algorithm. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.